0: have a vision you two all need to have a vision and then you need to almost make it a manifesto it's more than a mission statement it's how do you want everyone to feel how do you want everyone to show up what do you want are
1: you ready to master your mindset and your business? Join thousands of women each week who use this podcast as a tool to create financial and emotional wealth. And when you're ready to scale to the next level, visit theunstoppablewoman.com go. Hello, hello, and welcome to another episode of the Unstoppable Woman podcast. I'm Amira Alvarez. I'm the founder and CEO of the Unstoppable Woman, and I am super excited to have on to the podcast today as my guest, an amazing woman, an amazing lawyer, and an amazing client, Laura Duran. Welcome to the podcast, Laura. So good to have you here. Thank you, Amira. I'm very excited. Yes, it's going to be good. So, The reason I wanted to have Laura on the podcast was I wanted to share her story, share her evolution, share where where she started in her business, how it's grown and evolved, and do one for, you know, solid for the women out there in this world that would like to know what it takes behind the scenes to really grow and scale a business and that it doesn't happen overnight but it's an evolution and what are the steps that you went through to get to where you were when we met and then also you know what you've been evolving into as we've been working together and then just what it's like to to run a law firm in this day and age as a female attorney small business owner and help people understand some of the things you've done to really grow and scale your business and hopefully all of that will Help our community become more. So that's the framework of this conversation. You ready?
0: I am. I love it. Thank you.
1: Okay. So, first question is why law? Why'd you get into law?
0: Well, I I always knew I wanted to be a lawyer. I know that sounds like, oh, I always knew, but I really did always know. In fact, when I was 16, a sophomore in high school, uh, I had to write a letter to myself that my teacher would then uh, mail to us when we were 21 five years later and in there it said you know i'll be graduating from texas a university because that's where my older sister went and that's where i wanted to go i'll be uh applying to law schools and dating a boy at so two of the three happened <laughs> i ended up not dating the boy that i wanted to date at the time but i did indeed. I was at AM and m and I was applying to law schools. So I've always been very verbal. I like to read and talk. So that's never been something that inhibited me from being able to, I, I've never been too shy about uh, speaking in crowds. That's not been my thing. So it was a good fit for me. But I also think that, you know, I've always kind of cheered for the underdog. And that's my sweet spot as a lawyer. When somebody can't stand up for themselves, I love standing up for them.
1: Yeah. So uh, some really good nuggets in there already. <laughs> One, you started setting your vision and your intention so <laughs> early. Okay. Yep. Bravo for that teacher, that understood how staking a claim on your vision and imagining what you want can absolutely create it. And then good, good on you for being, you know, young and clear. I don't know that a lot of, yeah, I don't know that a lot of people are that clear when they're that young. Do you think you've always had, are you clear in other areas of your life or was it just in this one area that you, you, you have that level of clarity for yourself?
0: What is a good question? That is something that I would say has evolved since I've been working with you. So that's a good, uh, the realization, and I'm going to receive this about myself the realization that I've always been that way, but I didn't know I was always that way. So I guess the question, the answer to your question is yes, I've always been that way, but I never gave myself credit and I didn't know I was that way until I started working with you. Okay, great.
1: I love that. And, and my personal perspective is that there's always room for more clarity, that, oh, yeah. that you don't stop iterating on the level of clarity that you have on, on where you're going, what you want to create, what your truth is, what your, where your power lies, where, where your genius lies. So I, I think that's really great. Let's go back to one thing that you said uh, at the very beginning, which is that you've, you've always used your voice. Like you knew, you weren't afraid of speaking, you weren't afraid of using your voice and you had some cognizance of your own power and that you could use it to protect, really, defend, really, the, the underdog. Is that connected to anything else? Did you do that in your childhood growing up?
0: Yes, and this is something that I've always had in me. And it's just now, as we say Spirit of wealth. These are just now downloads that I'm having. I'm starting to just now connect all the dots. It's all making sense now. When I was as young as third grade, this is my first memory of something like this happening. I've always had either advisors, teachers, professors, authority figures, adults in my life pull me aside and say, so, Laura, you're a leader. And so would you be willing to do this because people will listen to you and you and you make them comfortable? And if you do that, then that will really help the class. What or what? Example, in the fifth grade, there was a, um, a little girl who came. She was um, new. She was from the Philippines. And she was very shy and very introverted. And my teacher, Mrs. Ray, pulled, pulled me aside and said, Laura, I had a conversation with that. You know, you're a leader in the classroom. You make people feel comfortable. Will you reach out to her and befriend her? And I was like, absolutely. Yes. But I also distinctly remember thinking, I'm a leader? Like, people listen to me like what do you okay like I didn't know I had that and then again I can give you multiple examples of that having happened to me in my life people calling me forward as a leader seeing something in me that I didn't accept and I just started accepting it in there (laughs) and I'm 45 (laughs) and <laughs> that's great. So it's been, a, it's been a journey. So, so t- talk to me
1: a little bit about what has allowed you to accept it, to really own that power of leadership.
0: What has helped me to accept that? Understanding my self-worth and my gifts and accepting that that is a gift and that I'm worthy of those gifts and that I can use, that that's my superpower and I accept it. And I'll be damned if I'm not going to walk that road because I know that I can make a difference in people's lives. Absolutely. So
1: it's a superpower. Do you think it's your purpose? Is it related to your purpose? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So you are one of the fortunate who has a career, has a business, has a uh, livelihood that is also intimately interwoven with her purpose. And I don't believe in luck. I don't believe that there are any, uh, that there is happenstance about this. You might not have been consciously aware of how you created this, but on some level, you knew that this was. Did you know at 16 that this was your purpose? You knew that you no. wanted to be a lawyer, but you didn't know. Yeah, right. Okay. So, but there was some calling forth there. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Fascinating. And has law, has law turned out to be everything you imagined? Like, you know, they say the good, the bad, the ugly. Like, even though you're in your calling and you're living your purpose, which is fantastic, Was it what you expected it to be? Did you have to adjust your expectations? Did you have to adjust how you practiced
0: the law so that it would suit you better? My journey as a lawyer and my journey through law school has been so rich with unbelievable experiences. And the thing that I love about being a lawyer one of the things aside from living my feeling that i'm living my purpose and helping people and and just being able to speak for someone that just doesn't have the ability to speak for themselves in that moment people come to me they're broken tell people what kind of law you do family law so i'm a prime i practice family law 18 years san Antonio, texas who are your clients then My clients are people that are going through divorces, going through custody evaluations, uh, custody modifications, child support issues, visitation issues with their children. Um, So when people come to us, they're, they're in a crossroads. They're approaching a milestone. And they're under an immense amount of stress. They are typically not thinking rationally. They are not reasonable, typically. So what I have learned is that what they really want is to be validated and heard and feel safe. Like everyone, if, really. That's right? the core of everything, right? And when it comes down to it, like if we pull back all, all of the onion stuff, that's really what everybody wants. But it's so palpable in family life. It's so obvious if you will. And so I say it's so obvious, but if you don't do the work and you don't connect the dots, you can easily fall in the, oh my God, my clients are so needy. They're so annoying. They're so uh, crazy. They're so this. No, they're not crazy. They're stressed out. They need help. Yeah, it's a lot of emotional stress. We don't use my client is crazy in my office. We don't use, you know, just throwing out, names. you know, Mr. Garcia online too, crazy, he's calling again. No, Mr. Garcia is not crazy. He is stressed out and irrational and we're going to get him over the bridge.
1: Yeah. And that is such a, of service pr- perspective, yeah. right? And have your clients come back
0: and thanked you for that? Oh, Amira, I always tell my clients, You know, call me in a year. One particular client drops in for me. It was Christmas time. Okay. And it was, she went through a devastating divorce that literally happened on Christmas morning. And I took her call and we talked on Christmas morning. My kids were in the other room. Okay, we were doing Christmas morning and I told her, I said, I promise you that on Christmas morning, next year, next year, Christmas morning, we're going to talk again and you're going to be a different human and in a different place. And so is your child. And you're going to have a different understanding. Of what's happening, and what has is 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 happening right now, and yes, we followed up in a year's time. That's awesome. And she was like, Thank she was you. a different human. Yeah, she looked different. She felt different. She sounded different. She had clarity. She was able to look back.
1: Yeah, resolution, hundred percent. Okay. What I see in that, Laura, is the level of belief. Like the level of confidence that you're able to impart to your clients because you've gone through this so many times and you know the, the cycle, you know, the, the, the journey that people go on, what the ups and the downs are, how, how the evolution happens, you know, where they're starting, what they're going to go through and you can see the other side. So you can hold space for them. Yeah. No, I love that. I love that. And. One of the things that I, I heard in the story of the upbringing where like you, you were tapped to be a leader was that you always had this sense of, of giving as part of your DNA. Like you just were like, oh yeah, I can do this. I can give, I, right? Like you didn't hold back and say, um, what's in it for me? You just, you went ahead and gave of yourself. And what I'm hearing in the Christmas morning story is even though you're very present with your kids and you're doing your family stuff, there is an aspect of you who's like going to show up and give. Like you didn't have to take that call on Christmas morning and you did. And that's a level, you know, I teach, you, you know this, but but for those listening, I, I teach that giving is the first law of receiving and it's it's it doesn't have to be uh, quid pro quo right it doesn't have to be in kind necessarily but it does have to you have to give first in confidence that you are supported that everything's good and that you will be able to receive and i think that that giving that level of confidence and belief to your clients is is a huge testament to, to, to living out that law. So, uh, I just wanted to affirm that and sort of connect it to the laws of the universe that we teach.
0: So, um, how long have you been doing law? 18 years. The, this past May I've been licensed for 18 years. Okay. 18 years. And how has your business changed
1: from when you started 18 years ago to now? Like, if if a young lawyer was listening to this can you map that journey and and really someone who's just starting a business i will um guess that there are some things that are unique to law but that there's a lot of commonality in a journey of of growing a business that you'll be able to pull out of this description
0: yeah and and i've had i have i have had a journey in my career you know i started out working for a law firm, I didn't, I wasn't even there six months. And I knew that that was just not an area of law that I was interested in, nor was I interested in working for someone else. So um, I was able to very early on, within six months of my obtaining a license, I was a solo practitioner and I was able to, and I had freedom, uh, which the whole freedom thing is the theme that you don't know you want at the time. But now I know that this all kind of blocked up. It was a journey. So you're saying that
1: that's a 2020 hindsight, like six months in you had freedom, but you didn't realize that that was what you were after. Exactly.
0: So it, now my parents were small business owners. My father was. And so he always had this sense of entrepreneur. He had a great entrepreneur spirit. He always encouraged us because he would say things like, you know, you can work 80 hours a week to make someone else rich or you could work 80 hours a week to make yourself rich. What do you want to do? And so that was like, those conversations we're having when I was in middle school, so the seed was being planted. Okay. So the, I need a corporate job secure that equal security. That's not my, that's not my hangup. That, that some people's ups it just never was mine. So my older sister has her own business. She's a dentist. Um, and, you know, and I have my own business. So my father did definitely plan that seed, but I didn't know that that was, it was a freedom thing that I was really seeking. And so, what I did. Being a solo practitioner allowed me to have freedom to have my babies, be home at certain. You know, I don't have to call somebody and ask for. You know, I'm, I got. I want to. I want to take this afternoon off and take my child to the zoo. I don't have to ask anybody that. I ask myself. <laughs> so let's pause. Let's pause there for a moment because
1: I think there are a lot of moms who run their own businesses. Who have mom conflict, mom guilt, and I think in part there's (laughs) right, right, okay. So in part it's it's you know comes with the territory, and in part I think it has to do with the the shadow side to freedom, which is there is nobody watching over you, there is no structure, you you not having to punch in at nine and leave at five and get home at five thirty, and then you're in mom mode, right? No one's making those rules for you, so there's no limits on how much time you can spend with your kids or how much time you can spend in your your business and how do you make those decisions. And I think people uh, end up not having clarity around how to show up as a business owner, how to show up as a mom with time management and when to go to the zoo or when to be like, I actually have to get this stuff in my business done. So how I mean I know that you're working through some of this now still with me like we're we're working on you know time management is in a, a, which is really self management is an evolution. However, you wouldn't have been able to stay in business for 18 years, thrive, serve your clients if you hadn't worked it out in some ways early on. So, how did you navigate the go to the zoo versus get the client work done or? the business development done?
0: Um you know I think you have an, an ethical, very high ethical obligation to your clients when you're a lawyer. So there's very specific things that if you don't do, you can lose your license. So you know those things, you know, my 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 oath, my um, the ethics to my my profession, that was a good compass. You know, I mean, you can't just not show up for a trial because you want to go to the zoo. <laughs> and so, so those so some of them are very in-your-face obvious, yes, but the 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 nuanced stuff of it is is something I'll, honestly, Amir, that I'm still that I still struggle with to this day. I mean, and I think it's I don't think I'll ever figure that out. I, maybe I will. I know that I will evolve. That's a first. Sure. But will I 100% be able to eradicate these these feelings? Maybe if we do enough belief work, I think I could. Yeah, but, um, and I would just like to reflect back to you, and and maybe
1: I'm, I have this off, so correct me if I'm wrong, but we just spent uh, some time together at a three-day retreat for right. the program that Laura's in, and... She mentioned that her husband was like, mm-hmm. "Oh yeah, your daughter needed you oh. to leave, right? Like yep. that she was thriving." So, how did can you speak to that a little bit? Because I think that would be such an interesting story for for the 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 mothers out there to to hear.
0: <laughs> Amira, and I know, and this has happened before. My, Mehita, my daughter is twelve years old. Okay, and I. God is my witness, she will repeat word for word something that you teach me word for word. And and it's, this is now the third time it just happened about 20 minutes ago. Is she listening to my teachings? or? No.
1: Oh, that's fascinating.
0: I just talked to her about what I learn age appropriately. And then she go, She can go from A to Z without me having to connect. Maybe she's at like C, and then she gets to Z. But she doesn't need all the connectors. She then says the nugget like that. And it freaks me out every time she does it. And this is the last one that she did about, like I say, not even 30 minutes ago. I'm kind of reflecting on the weekend, and I was talking to my husband about things that had dropped in because it was all about partial responsibility and changing our, our retreat and changing or recognizing what our beliefs were. And then, thus, we'll change your thoughts and change your feelings and change your actions. Okay. So, we know how that diagram works. I can intellectualize it all day, but it's tough. So, one of the downloads I had was that. If I'm not needed as a mom, then I'm not a good mom. So unless I'm so selfless and 100% selfless and I give 100% of everything I have, every cell in my being, if I don't give that to my children, then I'm not a good mom. So I'm saying this out loud, right? My daughter's there. She's like, oh, mom, that's so sad. You know, this is not." She's such a good mom. I was like, well, this is just a belief that I had. And she goes, well, I hate to tell you this, but when you were gone, she goes, I don't know if you know this, but I don't think about you 24 hours a day. I was like, you don't? Of course, I understood. But it it was kind of like, what? She goes, right. She goes, when I'm not thinking about you, you don't exist.
1: And that's exactly to... what we were talking about.
0: <laughs> yeah. She said, so when you don't exist in the moment, because I'm not thinking about you, then I'm doing other things and I'm, 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 yeah, I don't need you in that moment. Yeah. So let me fill in the blanks for people who didn't attend that
1: <laughs> retreat, but that's wild. I'm Laura,
0: telling I... you, as your spirit animal. I, I cannot wait. Like one day I'm going to, I'm going to call you forward. I would love for you to, to have a conversation with my daughter.
1: I I would on. be happy to. That would mm-hmm. I would be honored to. That would be great. <laughs> um, so one of the teachings was we as humans have experience and it gets mapped into our subconscious. If we don't process it, release it, transform it, we continue to think about it in. A particular way that comes through our lens of our belief structure and we keep reinforcing it again and again and again as if it were true. But the past is the past and it no longer exists. The future is in the future. It doesn't exist yet. The only thing that is here is this moment, right? This present moment. And, and if you go back to the past and recreate it, then you're bringing, in this moment, you are thinking about the past, but the past does not exist in this present moment. And there was a a lot more that, you know, this is not new thinking for, for most people have heard of this concept, but we were applying it in a particular way that was revelatory to actually not developing limitations in in the present and and creating things in the future that that don't serve us so when when your daughter selena yeah says this you're like oh she already <laughs>
0: understands this she already understands, Amira, yeah. it's like she has you know she she's a special child you know she i she is a special child she's yeah. a special yeah. human being I, I i think she will be called forward to to do certain things in her life. I don't know what exactly that looks like for her yet, but I know that she's special.
1: I love it. I love it. Okay. Mm -hmm. Well, let's go back to your journey. So you start off, you start off at a law firm. You're six months in. This is not for me. I feel trapped. I'm good. I need my freedom. You start your own business. You, at 2020 hindsight, you realize it's all about the freedom, being able to go to the zoo when you want. And I'm going to just hold you a little bit accountable there. There's a flip side to that, which is probably that you need to figure out how to earn money for yourself. And you don't know 100%. quite how to do that. Is that correct?
0: Oh, yeah, for sure. Yeah. It's like, I had really bad habits as a solo practitioner, just not accepting support, thinking I had to do everything, not thinking I could afford an assistant, um, not thinking that I could afford certain things that office systems that would make my life easier, you know, um, not managing money well. Uh, I mean, the list is like, is long. The, the list is 17 years <laughs> of what not to do, okay, and some of the things of what to do.
1: Yeah, so like okay. looking back, what would you say, how long did it take you to hire your first assistant, would you say? Six to seven years. Six to seven years in. Okay, so that's huge, right? That That is something, I mean, you can't scale without people to no. help support no. you.
0: No. and yeah. not even close. Yeah. Now I have a employee, I mean, you know, it's just a different game. Absolutely.
1: Yeah. So that would be a big one to, like, as a lessons learned, you would have, what would you have told your younger self, you know, the lawyer who's a year into, you know, or six months into running her own law practice, what would you have told her, because the, the Laura then is like, I'm not making ends meet. I know this woman. Okay. I'm not making ends meet, I'm not making enough money. How could I possibly invest in an assistant when I, I can't even pay myself right now?
0: So what would you tell that woman? You're worth it. And it all comes down to that. I mean, I wish it was more complicated. <laughs> And how would you speak to, to the, but let's go, let's go brass
1: tacks here. Cause I often, I often say you, you're worth it. You just have to do it. And people look at me askance and they're like, they're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. But I don't have the money. What would you say to that woman who just is like, I'm juggling all the balls right now?
0: I would say to them that there is a finite number of hours in a day. And as attorneys, we charge for our time. So just let's make it easy. You have eight hours in a day, you charge hundred dollars, then you're gonna make eight hundred dollars. Okay? If all the stars are like if you have X amount of overhead and working eight hours for you is not covering your overhead, then something's gonna then have to give, or an overhead meaning your your bills. So what if you you've upped your $100 an hour charge to $200. And now that leaves, you're only working for four hours and there's four hours over here. Well, someone else can work this other four hours for you. And you then, maybe they charge $200. So now you've literally doubled your bottom line by scale. Yeah, absolutely. So it's about leveraging other people to free up your time to do other things like do a website, do social media. I mean, and you you could, you could flip that also.
1: You could do those things or you could be the one who does the lawyering at 200, 300, 400, $500 an hour. And someone who's getting paid $25 an hour could do your website or $75 an hour could do your website.
0: Right. And, and absolutely. That's kind of a growth thing too, to be honest with you, Amira, because in the beginning it's like, uh, you should do the lawyer. I believe because you need to practice. It's, that's why they call it the practice. Like I was a solo for so long. We, you know, it's kind of a strange expression, but some of us, you know, we're like courthouse rats. It's like a hustle. I know it where all the clips are. I know how to file something. I know how to get a prosecutor. I know this. I know that. Like I know every part of the kitchen, but you can't be in every part of the kitchen. So at some point, you have to start out practicing. It's very important, but you will get to a point where you don't even have to practice
1: anymore. Yeah. So let's let me break that down. So she's not just talking about law. I mean, she's talking about law. But this is the truth for, for everyone. I'm constantly, consistently speaking on this podcast about the law of compensation, which says you'll be compensated according to the need for what you do. That's the problem you solve, right? How, how important is it to solve that problem? Your ability to do it and the difficulty in replacing you. So your ability to do it comes with practice, comes with time. Now, there is there's a rub there. Sometimes you're exceedingly good at what you're doing, but you're not charging enough because you have a self-worth issue. Okay. Yes. Okay. And I heard you coaching another lawyer up. <laughs> um, this was a in the ladies' room conversation, yeah. right? And at, at where we when we had this retreat, and can you share a little bit about? Do you remember that
0: conversation? Yeah, she was grappling between: Do I do contingency fees? And stick with contingency and flat rates, or do I charge an hourly rate? I said, Well, you're gonna have I said the answer is is not one or or it's not black or white. You can you can do all three, but if you are gonna charge a flat rate, you need to figure out you need to make sure that your that flat rate compensates you appropriately. Because if you you know, let's just make it easy. Uh, charge someone a thousand dollars and that's the flat rate and that covers the filing fees and the copies and the postage and the this and the that and now you are only left with $500 at the costs and it takes you whatever you know 25 hours to complete this well now you're working for pennies I said so you're gonna end up holding on to something and then she says well I said so how do you base your 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 uh, flat rate what, what are your flat rates she goes it depends on whether or not I think that they can afford the flat rate mm. so she changes her flat rate based on what she thinks that person can afford and yeah. I said we can't save all the baby bunnies <laughs> <laughs> where'd you learn that one from yeah. right yeah so I said, here's the deal your fee is your fee
1: yeah, absolutely. You to
0: do pro bono, do it all day, whatever. But you also have to feed your kids.
1: Yeah, and I have a really strong take on that. You need to, one, own your value. Two, you need to have a structure in your business. You know, order is heaven's first law, right? Like like we need we need to have some order there. Changing your retainer rate, depending on who you're talking to, is out of order. I say this in the most loving way in like direct, clear way to the woman that you were sharing this with, right? And everyone who's listening, because I know that lots of people do this. They change their fee structure depending on what they think someone can afford. And this is not working. One, its I, I personally think it's a little bit out of inte- – well, I, I think it's out of integrity. I think you need to charge everyone the same amount, that you need to have a fee structure that is – is is. Consistent across the board. And then if you want to do pro bono work, then you do something like I do three pro bono cases a month, or I do one a month, or I do three a year. And to qualify, right. You create a boundary and to qualify, you have to do this, 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 and this. And it's, it's not just save the bunnies. It's like you have to, that person has to step forward and own their part in it. And then you can have this, okay?
0: Then we choose you for this, okay? And it's a twofold there. It's self-worth, but it's also the law of scarcity because you're so scared that they're going to not. When you are super like, oh my God, nobody's going to call me. I, I've got to. I've got to land a client. We're not going to pay the bills. Have you ever yeah.
1: had that experience, Laura? Yes. Okay. Yes. I just wanted to ask that because I wanted. You're you're sort How of like it? you're further along in this journey, but there are so yep. many people who the phone's not ringing right now. Right. Okay. And one of the things that is fascinating about being in scarcity is that when you step out of it, the phone starts ringing.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And that. Is such, I mean, I've had this experience too. You know, I'm not, I'm not I'm, uh, outside of this experience. I mean, I remember when I was like, How am I gonna make my money this month? I don't know how I'm gonna do it. And how I was paying my car bill. Right, I mean, like, like very you know? nervous, very yeah. anxious, very worried, very much in scarcity. It was very hard to make money, to create money. The less you are in scarcity. It equates to the more you are in truth, in faith, in, in abundance, in um, absolute knowing, and it's much easier to make money. And yet, when you don't have the money, is when it's the hardest to step into knowing that it's there. And it's it, so. You're, you're, you're coming from a place of fear. Absolutely. And so it becomes this chicken and egg piece where you know, if I had the money I wouldn't be in scarcity. If I'm not in scarcity then I'll I'll it'll be easier to make the money, right? Like which comes first here? And the the way out just to help people out here, the way out is that you have to hold a belief of abundance of money, not abundance of scarcity, but abundance of money, that you're going to make your number without doubt, without without worry, without fear. And that's managing your mind, managing your emotional energy around it. And it's a challenging thing to do, but you need to hold the truth of the outcome that you want in order to, to be the person who can make sales, can receive the phone call, who understands that the people are everywhere and the opportunities are everywhere and you see it but that's the rub. You have to believe it before you are it. Because yeah. yeah, you
0: show up differently in the call. Yeah. And so and so you show up in confidence, which means, ooh, wait a second. I don't have any problem giving this woman $7,000. She's going to take care of me the whole time. As opposed to, oh, my God. Well, okay. I guess I'll give her $1,000. She seemed really distracted and nervous. and. <laughs> And everybody else I called at police charges three. Yeah. Okay, I'll call I'll I'll not she's a bargain.
1: Yeah. I just did a podcast recording. I don't know if it's gonna come out before or after this one on why you don't you don't have to lower your prices to make more money. Like because that's where people go. They go to I in I'm in fear, no one's buying, I need to lower my prices in order to have people say yes. And it's the exact opposite because if you do good work, own it, right? And be confident in that call. I love it. Okay. So how has your business evolved client-wise for you? So, you know, you have grown your team, you've grown, you know, you're in partnership now. There's lots of different evolution in your business. How has it grown for your client experience? Like, What was the client experience like 10 years ago, five years ago versus what it is now? How how have you continued to read
0: for something? Hold on, because it's pertinent to this conversation. (laughs) Gracefully grabbing this book. Okay. So you recommended it, and I and I've been reading it. And I've actually started a Client satisfaction initiative in my in my office. So I- I'm gonna I'm gonna
1: pause you for just a second because okay. uh, those of you listening to the audio version of this, she held up a book called "Never Lose a Client Again" by right. Joey right. Coleman. Is that it? that's right? Yeah. Mm-hmm.
0: Turn any sale into lifelong loyalty in 100 days. So the bottom line is is that we spend a lot of energy in our culture, uh, in capitalism, if you will, making the sale. Mm-hmm. Okay, but then once you make the sale, they become a number, and that will directly create a, a situation where your clients are not satisfied, and therefore, negative energy will then come to your whether it's in the form of bad reviews or people complaining or bad word of mouth and bad energy to everything else. So, the idea is once you make the sale. And the sale comes, the, what that means is the moment they sign your contract and give you whatever your retainer is or your your quote is, they then become your client that you need to make sure you turn into a lifelong loyalty client. And there's certain ways to do that. And that's what we're working on right now.
1: So not transactional, but relational. And quite frankly, like giving... If you're listening with kids, I'm about to swear, giving a shit. Okay. I love that book. I I I have been doing what he's talking about for for years and un without structure, without process. He has a great process for it. And I highly recommend the book to, to anyone who's in a service-based business. It's a great book. But I was sort of curious, like, um, because you're just now reading that. How is the experience of your your client different now than it was, say, five years ago? How has your evolution affected your client?
0: Well, you know, having support staff, having an A-team, oh my God, it's everything. And, you know, frankly, you have to figure out who your ideal client is and what that looks like. And then when you start focusing on that, then your clients are going to look a little different in terms of what they look like. So let's
1: pause there, Laura. Who's your ideal client? Who do you love to work with? Like just riff for a little bit so that people get a sense of how you think about ideal client.
0: An ideal client is someone that trusts you, someone that doesn't second guess your advice, that pays their bills, that can afford you, and that is respectful to you and your team and will listen to you and so you say like are you coachable can i coach you okay if you if if you don't have a client and i use that kind of in translation to representing someone if i don't have client control and they don't buy into my advice it's very difficult very difficult to to deal with them as a client so there are red flags that will happen up front, and we've learned that because of scarcity mindset, if we hear, and you can hear them once you, you know, we're almost 20, I'm almost 20 years in, you know, the red flags, you know what they are. And inevitably, if you're in scarcity, you're like, I know that this red flag there, but I really love, I want to make this sale. And then you do. And then inevitably That is not your ideal
1: client. I think this is really important. You know, I was I I had a conversation with a prospective client the other day. And admittedly, I did all the things that I teach people not to do. Okay. So I I I own my, okay, I was um, you know, was coming back from the event. I was in the passenger seat, but it was very distracting to be watching the team navigate, and there was also the Wi-Fi wasn't solid, or the cell service wasn't solid. Right, there were all these things that I'm like, I have a little, I have a little checklist that I teach and that I <laughs> I I normally keep to, um, and I didn't I didn't follow that, and I had a terrible like I I feel terrible internally. Oh, let me say that differently. I don't feel terribly terrible internally, but I made a note that that was not of service to that person, right. because I wasn't showing up in my power, fully present, and serving her. But I also recognize, to the point of there are red flags, that the the red flag is: Are you playing a shell game? Like you're not telling me all the 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 things. That are at play so that when we get to the place of like, okay, well, this is your next step, then it comes out, I'm in five other coaching programs and I don't have time or I don't believe in myself because of the X, Y, and Z, right? There's all sorts of things that come out and I, I could see that the entire time, but I was so distracted and not in my personal power having that call that I wasn't paying attention to the red flags that were coming up. And I would have never offered someone like that uh, the, the opportunity to work with us because that is a red, f- they're not coachable. Okay. Right. Okay. That, so that shell cool. game. Yeah. And so to your point, and I'm not, you know, the listeners need to know that too, but like to your point, you know what the red flags are, start paying attention to that. It's really important.
0: It is, and I would just give one red flag that is almost a never-failer to young lawyers out there. If you're their sixth lawyer, yeah, and they've been run. in litigation for five years, still don't have a final order. Yeah, run. Ding, ding,
1: ding. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's the red flag for me, too. I'm, I've been sure. in all these programs, and none of them have worked. Hmm. Could it be you? Ouch. Right. That's an ouch. And I don't say that. And, and I, I need to frame this up for people because I can, I can hear people clicking off right, and running away. It's a personal responsibility piece. Okay. Absolutely. And I hope that if you're like, oh my God, that's me, that you don't take it personally, that instead you say, oh yeah, the common denominator is me. I need to shift in, into this person's credit. She was coming to the call to try and find an answer. To this, yeah. so I'm not doing it a full full justice, her full justice. Okay, um, okay. So you, your your practice has evolved, and have you started to work with a different kind of client
0: than you did in the beginning? Yeah, I mean, and I think that those ideal clients have always been there, you know. Um, and so I'll have wonderful. I've had wonderful experiences with clients, and I've had really bad experiences with clients. And the rub the, uh-huh. the the game, if you will, is to identify those good clients and try to focus on on, And it's hard, Amir, because it's not demographics. It's not age. It's not race. It's not gender necessarily. It truly is. Do they trust you? Do they trust you? Do they value you? And for some people, they
1: don't have the ability to trust.
0: Right. But then... They will fire you and then, and then go, that's why they have six lawyers.
1: Absolutely, Laura. I'm not saying take them as a client. Okay. Yeah, no, I know. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just saying sometimes, sometimes it's not about, do they trust you? It's that, oh, no, no, no. that they, they can't trust. They have a, anyone. Okay.
0: Yeah. I shouldn't have said it like that. Like I don't. Yeah. Exactly. Oh, great. Is there anything else that you would
1: like to share about your journey or advice that people could walk away with and feel like, oh, my God, Laura, what a like, total nugget there?
0: <laughs> you know, what I'm working on right now and what I really love the idea of doing is having a vision for my law firm. Like, I have it in my head. I know what I want to do. And I know how I want to show up and I know how my, I want my clients to feel and I know how I want my staff to show up and how my staff to feel. I know it. It's in here. I see it. But I need to be able to articulate it very clearly to myself, to my partner, to my staff, and to my clients. So one of my SOW sisters is starting a partnership. She's a lawyer, one of the Spirit of Wealth Ladies. And she says, you know, what do you think about the partnership and how it works? I said, have a vision. You two all need to have a vision. And then you need to almost make it a manifesto. It's more than a mission statement. It's how do you want everyone to feel? How do you want everyone to show up? What do you want? And I think that when if your client... And so you use it almost like as a little manifesto pamphlet for your clients. Like you do great on that with your marketing. It's fantastic. And so I would encourage young lawyers or people that are just starting out a partnership, dig a little deep and, and you don't know, you know, success love speed, looks close gap. you know, don't spend a year doing this, but maybe a weekend retreat or something like that and get clear with that. And, and everything else is, is going to start falling apart hundred percent. And I feel like um, there's a
1: point of clarification there, right? Don't spend a year doing it. Success loves speed and allow yourself to iterate and evolve it over time. Like y- you will take a crack at it, get it done and then revisit it. And you'll, you'll see most of it is really spot on, but this, this needs a little love and attention. We're going to tweak yep. this. Yep. Okay. I have Uh, A few more questions for you. So, one of the things that we were talking about the other night was, and I don't know that I can articulate the way you framed it, but you said something like, You look like me. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I love that, right? There was something, there was something in that. Now, Laura and I, we don't look really like each other but we look like each other. So what she was referring to is that you know she's from San Antonio, she's from a Mexican American background. My father's Mexican American, happens to be from San Antonio as well. I never grew up there, but I spent a lot of time visiting cousins there. There's some some commonality there. And we had a conversation about that and you said and I love that you don't market to Latinas. Like you could really play that card. So can you can you speak to that? And then I'll share, I'll riff off of it and share a little bit of my perspective.
0: It's tough, man. Okay, so in San Antonio, a lot of family law attorneys look like, like us, are Hispanic females, a lot. A lot of the district court judges are Hispanic females. Like Hispanic females have really come into their own in South Texas in the law, okay? and it's there's an energy there right now that I love because when I started out yeah they didn't they didn't look like me but but here's the thing that I guess we were talking about is that when you when you dig deep enough we're all the same and so that's why I was saying earlier like your ideal client is not necessarily a demographic thing And so, like for Amira, like I, I I know that you've kind of narrowed it to women, but that's your sweet spot. But you identify your connection is to on the the human level, correct? Hundred percent, and yeah. So that's what you know. I'm not saying don't go out and leverage what it is you have, because frankly, some of my best clients a lot of my really ideal clients are hispanic females that are that live around where i grew up and and it goes back to the whole trust thing maybe they trust me because of that i don't know but i've also had old white men who think i'm
1: the bee's knees
0: yeah Bring in ruth <laughs> 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 so it's like,
1: yeah. you
0: really you're not it's 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 a tricky thing that i think is um is an interesting conversation to continue to have.
1: Yeah. So so I'm going to put this in the the framework of business and marketing because okay. that's that that was the query. You you looked at me and you was like, why don't you just mark like you don't market to la- Latinas. No. and and like why like quizzically like why don't you? This would be so easy. But I like that you don't, and I'm confused by the fact that I like that you don't. But I like okay. it. You know, it's it's like it's this and and more and uh there's there's a number of reasons that uh i i do that and one is what you you've, you've ta- touched on which is like i i connect with people's humanity and that it yeah. has has nothing like i'm not in this this sort of identity i don't want to create just one exclusionary um lane
0: no, because and, it's so meta. All of this stuff is very meta. Correct. But and, anyway, and, and then it, it nuances and, identity. Anyway, go on. <laughs> <laughs> thank you. Like, well, thank you, Laura, for letting me go. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the other thing
1: is that, you know, shh, don't tell, you know, I have male clients behind the scenes. They don't, ob- they um, aren't, you know, obviously in, in the, wealth, the, yeah. the spirit of wealth or the group programs, because that's, that's for women and of my clients are women. Okay. And I have a, a, uh, an affinity for that. And, and for the right man, I'm a great coach. Okay. Uh, that said, I also, so that's the meta, that's the human, right. And, and then the other thing is that like, I just never grew up like I didn't grow up, shh, don't tell, never grew up speaking Spanish. Like, it seems like that would be a little disingenuous if I took that on in a um, stronger stronger fashion. It's not that I, I rejected. I am who I am. And that's what we were really talking about. It's like, I am my unique expression of myself, and I don't want to try and fit into someone else's version and fail at that, right? Because I will regardless of what version that is, I I will never be able to meet that expectation. I can only meet the expectation of who I am. And if I'm trying to, to live my life and do my marketing to please others, right, for some, whether it's a, a political agenda or political correctness or to Market specifically to a, a a group of people for leverage in your business, whatever it is, you will be criticized for not doing it right because they're who's defining the right, okay? The correct. So I opt instead f- to do me, okay? Because no one can tell me how to do me because right. there's only one of me, right?
0: Uniquely.
1: Yeah. An expression. Yeah. yeah. And, no, I love it. Yeah. And this is the truth, this is like what I I teach my clients is that when you're a full expression of yourself, you're in your power. And then what? you can confidently do your, your work in this world. Okay. So awesome.
0: Okay. So do I all of that. Uh, Okay.
1: <laughs> I love it too. Okay, good. So to wrap up today's podcast, okay. uh, two questions. Okay. What do you love most about yourself?
0: Mm. I mean, I'm so hilarious. (laughs) I just, I love laughing, belly laughing. I love having fun. I love being silly. I love not taking things too seriously. Oh my God, there's so much levity and fun in this world. And that's like the joy. That's the sweet spot, you know?
1: Cool. I love it. it. And I love
0: that. I love those moments of just levity and just fun.
1: Great. Second question. And then I have reflections for you. So don't go anywhere. Okay. Okay. What makes you an unstoppable woman? Oh,
0: gosh. Mm. Because I've always known. I, I always have been unstoppable. I came into this world unstoppable. We all did. We all dropped in, in the infinite, with everything already there. And some people aren't ever able to clear out all the baloney to allow them to see that. And luckily for me, there's been multiple people, multiple people along my journey of life. That have called me forward to be unstoppable. And, I, and, I, and I'm listening.
1: Yeah, you listen and you yep. act on it, which I yep. love. I love. So before I share my final reflections, where can okay. people find you?
0: Yes, I'm in San Antonio, Texas. It's Robertson Duran Law, PLLC. Our phone number is 210 224 4077. And they can always. Follow us on social media. It's rdfamilylaw at rdfamilylaw.com. And then our website is rdfamilylawfirm.com. So it's rdfamilylawfirm.com.
1: Great. I love it. Did you catch that? rdfamilylawfirm.com. Okay. So I wanted to share with you some final reflections that, mm-hmm. one, thank you so much for sharing your wisdom here on. The podcast. I know that the audience will be eating this up and just connecting the dots for themselves. Your generosity is, I think, one of the the key things that sets you apart. I see it in your interactions with everyone. That you're you're constantly thinking about how you can give, how you can um, share, how you can you know how you can solve this this problem or this problem. You're constantly. Really looking at how you can show up and help other people. And I, I'm, I'm hoping that everyone listening will see the connections to their own business and start p- putting the dots together. So I want to, I want to say that I, I thank you and honor you for your generosity. And I think one of the things that makes you a, a truly unstoppable woman is that you have such an incredibly open heart and that you use it for good in this world. You're just of such service. So thank you so much for being here.
0: Thank you, (laughs) Amira.
1: You're
0: welcome. Yeah.
1: (laughs) Okay. Awesome. Awesome. Thank you again, Laura. I appreciate you being here. And for those of you listening, thank you so much for listening. And I cannot wait to see you and connect with you in our next episode. So check that out soon. Take care. Be unstoppable. Bye-bye.